Welcome to Punta Vista, episode 108? Oh no. How we... Yeah, Ooh. well, I feel like it was two How episodes we... since the fuck-up, and the fuck-up was 106. Mm. So that sounds right to me. But you've got 107 on the channel. Yeah, so that's so... that's going to be a problem for me to sort out later on, I guess. Oh, it's never, it's never been a problem for me. No, it's not going to be a problem for me either, see, but no. I... I pick up a microphone, <laughs> I lay down some words, yep. mm-hmm. uh, I put the microphone down, and I never think about it. Yeah, many of those words are given to us by Andrew, who, who has produced the articles uh, in the chat. True. <sighs> yes. Seems like a good system. How is your intro going so far, would you say? Great. Uh, so yeah, welcome to episode 108. As we all know, 108 degrees Fahrenheit mm. is the internal temperature at which the human body's vital organs begin to fail from overheating. Mm. More and more every day. S- stay out of the sun, you know? Stay out of the earth, which keeps getting hotter and hotter all the time. You know what I've heard great things about? What? Titan. Uh, uh, it's a moon of... Uh, is it one of <laughs> Jupiter's moons, Theo? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, look, if it isn't, no one, no one would know anyway. No, there's no way to... Saturn, right? No. Mm. Uh, I'm not Googling it, and I'm not stalling for time by saying Mm. that I'm not Googling it. Welcome to episode 108. (laughs) Moon of Saturn, for fuck's sake. (laughs) But I have been hearing good things about Titan. Potentially it's got um, subsurface uh, water. Yeah. And all the astronauts that go there, they kind of come back and they land in their in the rocket ship on Earth, and you kind of see them at the distance, almost out of the corner, right? And they're beckoning you to get on the rocket <laughs> mm. and go to Titan. Um, and they're just saying, look, it's it's great over there. All your problems will go um, on Titan. You just they, have to jump on the rocket and come to Titan. They seem, like, really excited about it. They seem so excited. Like, almost, and I would say, infectious. frantic. Like yeah. there's almost a real sense of like leave leave everything behind. Yeah. Don't don't worry about your friends or family. Just no, come, no. bring your body to Titan. And admittedly, the phrasing is weird. Yeah. And and after a while, you won't need your body anymore. Hmm. And that's the great thing I'm told. So. But we need your body, and it's hmm. unclear who they mean by we. But it is needed on Titan. Well, you need to get your body to Titan or under Titan, <laughs> deep down in the murky depths mm-hmm. near the core of Titan. You've got to well, get your warm. body there. It's, it's so nice and warm. And warm. 108 degrees. Let's just get Fahrenheit. on a ship. Most concerning thing to me about these astronauts, the jet black eyes. Mm-hmm. No, don't worry about that. No. Why would that, you worry about that? That's space eyes, and it makes <laughs> sense if you think about it for, from scientific perspective. So. It's actually better that way. Mm. And then stop thinking about it right after that. Uh-huh. Hmm. Welcome to episode 108, um, where we take a nice trip to Titan. I'm Andrew. I'm here with Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello. I figure we should introduce ourselves at some point. I've heard that's a good uh, podcast practice, because this could be your first episode. Ooh, sorry. Sorry if it is. <laughs> and you don't want to be listening to three nearly... You know, if you were hearing these three voices for the first time, you'd really want to put names to them before you could no longer tell the difference between them for the entire episode. Which happens a bizarre amount, by the way. Well, Apparently. I think most voices, all voices sound the same. I'm going to say it. Hmm. And hmm. mine, I think, sounds very normal. It's resonant. <laughs> it's almost too deep. 
No. <sighs> well, that's Theo. That's Theo that Ben is talking to. That's Hi. a third person. Andrew. How are you, Andrew? Ben Theo. I'm Andrew, and I'm good. Um, yeah, look, look, we can try and get into this professional podcast introduction kind of thing. Um, I've heard other people be like, hey, this is my full name and where you can find me on Twitter. Oh, it's very God. formal. No. It's very formal. No. Whereas I feel like we all have too many followers for our own like personal uh, level mm-hmm. or of comfort, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, we've all accepted now that however many followers we have is too many to uh, live out a good life, and there's simply no point in directing more people to our horrible, cursed page. Ten would be nice. Oh, that'd be the dream. I mean, Ten there'd followers. be yeah, yeah, there'd be you guys, so that's three, including Lucy, um, my mum, maybe. Oh, your mum's on Twitter? No, 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 but I'm just... Oh, like your be. hypothetical best followers in the, all the world. One yeah. of them is your mum. That's quite Absolute, sweet. Absolutely. I would still tweet about um, shitting mm-hmm. constantly. Di- diarrhea. Wow. Not sure. being able to have diarrhea. Yeah. Just dreaming of one day going back to just having your regular old diarrhea that you normally have. God. That needle really swings wildly, doesn't it? <laughs> the old, I, the it old does shit you. non-shit. I, I just don't know if it's going to be... I don't know if that's a particularly relatable sentiment to everyone. I've taken my glasses off and I'm just rubbing at the bridge of my nose right now. Welcome to Buena Vista. Um, <laughs> it's... Oh, what is it? It's politics. Yeah. It's comedy. It's episode 107. It's episode 109. <laughs> Go to Titan. Take your body there. Take your pets. Go right now. Hey, have you got some biomass? Laying around the house? Yeah. Um, swim down beyond the f- reach of the faint and distant sun. Take all of the dogs you can fit <laughs> under your arms. <laughs> Scoop your goldfish out of the bowl. <laughs> Shove them in your pockets and get on the rocket. Got your a flesh is needed on cutters, <laughs> Go to your nearest <laughs> pet shelter and get everything you can. Oh, dear. What about like? Do you think? Um, do you think the astronauts on Titan would be interested in like you know those giant um, like fleshy flowers, or like you know, corpse the, flowers? Yeah, yeah, like those ones. Um, the the ones that open up every now and then stink like flesh and look big and meaty. Mm-hmm. Are they oh, actually maybe. meaty enough? Uh, I mean, I yeah, you're supposed to eat it. You could try. There's uh there's two of them in, I think Adelaide. Uh, that uh, every every now and then will open up and they let everyone come in and smell some really stinky smells. Mm. Look I'll at let a big the flower, flower let her rip. Yep. <laughs> get them all in the room there. <laughs> yeah, they get everyone in the room and then the flower just honks one off. Flower just cutting the cheese. Oh, no, they've only got one corpse flower. Oh, disappointing. No Oof. reason to go to Adelaide oh, now. Never go oh, to Adelaide. Oh, go I'll to Titan. <laughs> hearing great things about Titan. I'm hearing the siren call. The <gasps> siren call of <laughs> the sirens of Titan, perhaps. <laughs> Is that a thing? Oh, it's a, it's a Kurt Vonnegut novel. I'm sorry, okay. oh, I sorry thought that was that. that just buttonholed really nicely, but not one of the two that I've read. Oh, it, it's a good one. That's right, folks. You here for politics? Alright, cool. I'm gonna get that book. <laughs> Just make a note of books to buy. 
Oh, here's politics, and um, what a what a regular dumb week in politics it's been. We have our proud Prime Minister, Scotty Scomo Morrison, uh, making some announcements today um, about some anti-suicide measures. He says, suicide takes far too many Australians, devastating families and local communities. One life lost to suicide is one too many, which is why my government is working towards a zero suicide goal. Which, like, seems kind of similar to me to the whole, like, uh, zero road toll kind of move, where it's admirable, but come on, that's that's not really going to happen. Um... But a lot of people immediately pointed out about this that I guess maybe maybe they should consider changing like their many policies that drive people to suicide. Some of them seemingly deliberately. Yeah, the um, I think when they posted the um, uh, the video on on Twitter initially has something like one and a half thousand replies on it. Um, mm-hmm. All of them are basically verbatim um how about you tongue my ring hole um scotty and which is a fair point which is honestly i mean it's one of the best points out there uh but mostly they're just um pointing out as you said um perhaps maybe if you want to reduce the suicide rate you need to make material changes to the quality of most vulnerable people's lives, like raising New Start and ending the ridiculous robo debt um, debacle, and maybe not jailing people for trying to come here by boat. Um, yes. Who are people who are actively and continually uh, trying to kill themselves? Yep, and some of them quite successfully managing mm-hmm. to kill themselves. Yep. Uh, people self-immolating because of the conditions that they've very, very deliberately created for them. Um, they're in uh, in those third-party countries where they host stuff in. Um, but instead of raising Newstart, he's rejected calls to raise Newstart, um, saying, oh "My God, this is like this is embarrassing to read out. I'm I'm turning beet red." from reading this out right now. So embarrassed. Uh, So he says, here's a quote from him. He ruled out any change beyond the six-monthly indexation change, which last added just 30 cents a day to the $275 a week base payment, increasing it by just over $2. So bearing in mind that the uh, new start payment currently is below the poverty line. Um, and he says on this quote, more importantly, for those who are on Newstart, well, over 90%, about 99% of people who are on Newstart are actually on other forms of payments as well, Morrison said. Which, um, as I have seen welfare advocates pointing out on um, online, is is a thing that they've taken to saying lately because they now have that like um, energy that energy dividend payment thing that they do. Yep, to help you pay your power bills. To help you pay your power bills and everybody gets whatever it is, 60 bucks a year or something. I can't remember what it was. Mm -hmm. But they give it to everybody in the country, which means that they can now use this language of saying 99% of people in the country are already receiving some form of of benefit from the government. Mm -hmm. Um, So, But I can use this benefit to go and buy like 
fresh fruit and vegetables and that sort of thing, right? Or is it just is it just electricity that I'm Well, eating? if you sort of cup your hands um underneath if you cut an opening into your power lines and cup mm-hmm. your hands, you can take the electricity that you got that uh the rebate for and then you can just trade that in sort of anywhere for, you know, food or goods or services or, or whatever it is you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Ben, I'm you know Getting, I think, towards the end of an electrical engineering degree here. Um, oh, so I don't need to explain it any further. No, no, and I have to say, what, what, you, what you've said there is is honestly, it's it's so true. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad. I'm surprised, but uh, pleasantly surprised to hear that. Huh. Uh, bless whoever that was sneezing in the background there. Certainly, George. Uh, bless you, George. Oh, little George sneeze. How dare you call her little? You are the same size. <laughs> God, I'm so terrified. She's going to suplex me. <laughs> she probably would. Straight through my floorboards. <laughs> She's already fucked her eyes up. She's got nothing left to lose. Um, so he goes on to say, after after claiming that 99% of people are on other forms of payments, um, very fraudulently trying to basically claim, oh, these people are getting other forms of support from the government, um, except not really. He says, it's about getting people into jobs. The latest jobs figures show 20,000 additional full-time jobs. That's good news. That's great news. More jobs. How good are jobs? They suck. Good Having a job <laughs> fucking sucks. I like, that, um, I like that it's so fucking clear that it's a completely rhetorical bullshit thing that he's saying that they like the guardian hasn't even bothered to put a question mark at the end of that <laughs> just put, yeah, that's fair how how good are jobs full stop the man it's... really has ruined saying how good is something that how was good. one of nature's rare pleasures how good is origin footy can't say that anymore how good is the delicious taste of beer can't say that anymore. Mm-mm. It's all gone. And he did that. Single-handedly. I'm not happy about it. Mm. It does manage to ruin a lot of shit. So, um, so he has been, you know, refusing to raise New Start because why would you want to help people at all? Um, leaving former Nationals leader and disgraced uh, big, <laughs> big red idiot Barnaby Joyce. <laughs> Just in what in what way has he not managed to disgrace or embarrass himself? I wonder. I can't think of any. Well, he hasn't shown up to a press conference wearing an old timey set of overalls uh, with a big piece of straw between his mouth, and then uh, as he's uh, making a very important point, uh, the final button on the ass of the overalls kind of pops out, and it flies open, and then a little toot of fart comes out. I don't think. At this Hasn't point, embarrassed himself in that manner specifically. I don't think he's done that specifically, but everything else up until that point. Well, it is a very that's a very specific thing. I, I mean, you say that, but I've seen that on TV many times. But instead, uh, Barnaby Joyce has said they should raise Newstart. Hey, hmm. hey, what a what a crazy idea! If I was a broken clock, I would simply be right <laughs> twice a day. <laughs> On Thursday, Joyce told the Australian newspaper that Newstart is, quote, a hard life and suggested reforming the payment to consider recipients' geographical locations to compensate them for higher cost of living in the regions and higher rents in capital cities. 
if someone's on Newstart in a town like Woolbrook, it's going to cost you $50 to go to Tamworth and do the groceries or go to a job interview, Joyce reportedly said. They live in those places because the rent's cheap, but the rent's cheap because it's a long way from the services. The Morrison government has so far resisted calls to increase the rate of new start, with Treasurer Josh Frydenberg citing the fact that more than 90% of recipients receive some other form of payment. And they point out here, many new start recipients receive a fortnightly energy supplement of $8.80 a fortnight. God. Um, so this, this, of course, brings us to an obvious point, which is we also have this week... Um, Opposition leader Anthony Albanese mounting a full-throated defence of both um, the Labour Party voting in favour of of the coalition's massive, massive tax cuts, and also refusing to commit to raising Newstart. And this is a thing that we've spoken a lot about recently, obviously. And one of the reasons that they refused to back raising Newstart before the election was obviously that they just didn't want it to be used as a wedge against them. They didn't want the the Liberals to say, oh, they're going to tax and spend, tax and spend, they're going to raise Newstart, and who's going to pay for that? Old white grandmothers! Yeah, which I think we talked about like two weeks ago is their number one reason for doing anything now, right, in the Labour Party, is can this be used as a wedge um, by the right-wing media and by the opposition or, you know, um, the Liberal Party against us. Well, and, and in so often the answer is yes, and so like, oh no, well that's that's simply too hard. And I mean, like we can we can look at what some of uh, uh, what Anthony Albanese has said about it here, which is that he's from the Australian has launched a staunch defence of Labor's capitulation on the government's full 158 billion dollar tax cut package. It's a good sign when you're several weeks into your leadership and you are launching a staunch defense of your capitulation. Mm. Um, he also attacked the Greens as it pressures Labor to back its bill to increase Newstart by $150 a fortnight, saying the minor party does not, quote, ever have to try and add things up. So he's, he's saying about the tax cuts here, well, we had to vote in favor of it because they refused to split the bill. We wanted to have tax cuts for for lower and middle class um, income, lower and middle income people. Um, we want to have tax cuts for them, but they refuse to split the bill. So we could either not pass any of it, or we had to pass all of it. And we didn't want to be seen as being against giving people something, so we just voted for all of it. Now, obviously, there's the problem with this, that there isn't actually a compelling argument for across-the-board tax cuts anyway. Like we have one of the one of the lower income tax rates in the in the world, I believe. Do in, the, in the OECD, we're sort of yes, we're on the, the lower one. side of things. That's the one. Thank you. Um, but again, this is what we've talked about. They they said, "Oh, we didn't want to get painted as being against this thing, so we voted in favour of it." And that week, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg was out there saying, "And Labor tried to stop us from doing this, but we still did it, even as they worked against us." So. Yeah, so it had just no fucking effect anyway. anyway. No, but it doesn't make any sense. The Liberals were holding the football <laughs> and they ran towards it and they were going to kick it. But where did the football go? They they said to me, I'll hold the football. I'm going to hold it here. Not like last time. So, so, yeah, on the one side, you have them... Actually, just to backtrack there, I think it would be more accurate to say 
the Liberals said, we're not going to hold the football here. There's no football. If you run and kick this, we're going to remove it. And Labor said, fantastic. Just going to run up and kick that football. Yes, very much. Um, yeah, so on the one hand, you have them saying, hey, we had to vote in favour of something because we didn't want to be painted as being against it. And they were immediately painted as being against it anyway. Didn't matter. Um, and then on the other hand, you have them saying, well, we, we refuse to commit to doing something because then we'd have to, you know, say how we're going to pay for it and that sort of thing. And again, didn't happen anyway. So didn't win them any votes by refusing to, to do anything. And this is, is kind of something I found myself thinking about today was that this is, this is where trying to mimic... Um, this is where trying to, to mimic like the Liberal Party's policies gets them. They're trying to avoid all of this scrutiny and it just doesn't work. Um, what they wind up doing instead is like they say, oh, we're not going to commit to raising Newstart. We're not going to commit to doing that. Uh, instead, we'll commit to a review of Newstart in 18 months, uh, which is great stuff. And then somebody from, like, a couple of people from the the Liberals or the Nationals say, we should probably put up Newstart because we're driving people into poverty. Um, and everybody goes, oh, look at them doing the right thing. Look at them actually trying to do the right thing. And, like, Labour gets nothing from that. They don't get people saying, well, at least they didn't commit to something that they couldn't deliver. <laughs> they... They don't get fucking anything from it. They don't get credit for dragging for dragging the liberals like to the left because they themselves weren't committing to doing it. Yep. Like at least if they if they were like pushing and pushing and pushing them to do it and then they finally gave into it, you can say, see, we have been driving this agenda from day one. If you are purely interested in it from the politicking point of view as opposed to the doing what's right point of view. But they can't do that anyway. And no, now all of the stories about them are they're getting fucked up for, for not putting up a fight on tax cuts and they're getting fucked up for refusing to commit to raising Newstart. And it's weird, like, him him saying that, you know, the Greens is a minority party. They don't need to make it add up. Well, guess what, you fucking idiot? You are a minority party as well because you lost the election. You are literally in a minority and you don't have to make it add up. But if you do want to make it add up, like... All they have to do is show some guts or at least not try and be as um, down the line as they are with it and just take a leaf out of the coalition's book and just say, we're going to do it. And, you know, say that you're going to raise new stuff by $75 a fortnight out of the gate and then do a further and commit to a further review, right? Like there is an amount that will improve people's lives that you can do straight out of the gate without, without like fully getting down to the nitty gritty of it, and then getting down to the nitty gritty of it, signalling both intent and calculation later later on. But they don't. It's just terrible retail politics by by Labor the entire way through, right? Because they've they're promising nothing and then agreeing with the coalition and like there's no nobody can see any point to it. And I've seen people that are so so glued on to Labour, just scratching their heads about this whole decision-making process, and especially after the after the election loss and the behaviour after after this, that it just it just doesn't make any sense. And they 
they clearly think they're being very smart about it and they're being very, very dumb about it. It's like smart in a way that... Uh, I would say dumb in a way that only like very smart people can be. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there is a... Yeah, I, th- I think there's a certain amount of like... We're playing this long game. We're, you know, we're the people who really understand how the game of politics works. And like, I've, I think I've also been particularly disappointed by like seeing, seeing all of the the labor operatives coming out and saying like, oh, but they did promise to raise new start. And it's like they fucking didn't. That's what this whole no. thing is about. This whole thing is about like. But, you know, I'm, I'm reading from something here that says the opposition rejected an internal push to tell voters that it will increase the rate of Newstart, instead standing by its pledge for a review of all welfare payments within 18 months of a Labour government. Which, to my mind, is, is much more akin to telling people, we can guarantee you that nothing will change for at least two years if we are elected. It's like... You know, to explain this maybe in a way everyone can understand, if you're at a, um, it's like you're at the toy shop and you see um, an action man that you really want, and you're like, like hey, the greatest can I hero have this? of all. Yeah, I can't really remember what his whole thing is, or if that's his name. Uh, but, and then you're you're like, hey, can I have this? And your parents are like, oh, maybe for Christmas, because you know you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Does that? Is that like helped clarify it or? I didn't know if that was going to go further, but uh, no, that's but the whole thing. It's the whole analogy. Did that help? Is that maybe for Christmas? Theo, maybe you... if you're good. Do you feel like you maybe understand it clearer? Um, I feel like I understand it less clearly now. <laughs> in those terms, um, look, I'll have a little chew on that. I'll move it around my mouth. Like, okay. well, let, like let me give um, you another example. Maybe you like. Uh, you see mm-hmm. someone, um, like a friend of yours, and yeah. you're out in public. You run into them at the supermarket, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you haven't seen them for a while. Sure. Uh, maybe you know them from high school, and you're like, oh, hey, well, it was great seeing you. We should catch up to, up sometime. And they say, oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm very busy. Yeah, let's but do that. But you've not said when mm. you wanted it. Mm. But they've already sort of trying to anticipate a way to say no. It's like that. See, this, I, okay, so I've, I understand this on a sort of cerebral level now, <laughs> which is nice, thank you. But for me, the good outcome is what you've described. Oh, in that you don't have to <laughs> hang out with someone. I don't have to leave my house. I yeah. don't have to think about um, all of the time that's passed since I've talked to this person, how uh, the person that I was at that point is not the person that I am now. Um, mm, true. But whether they've... Moved forwards in their life past. It's a know, real possibly um, ship of Theosius uh, paradox. <sighs> no one's happy about this. God. I'm doing a pretty big grin. Um, God damn it! Well, anyway, I keep going with it. You were doing like some politics stuff or whatever. So <laughs> anyway, anyway, so yeah, basically, basically, what they wind up is, with is. You know, refusing to do anything about it before the election. Refusing to commit to helping people before the election. Uh, lose the election. Lie about what you committed to doing after the election. Uh, and then also immediately give up on pressing the case any further. 
because they've had um, Jim Chalmers. Is he the new the new um, Shadow Treasurer? Uh, Chamo Chamis. Yep. <laughs> Everybody needs a name like that now. I think. Ch- um, Shadow Cham- Treasurer Chamers, as we call him. Um, Big Jim, Doctor Char Char. <laughs> Dr. Chacha, um, of course, saying, oh, well, you know, when people have pressed him, well, are you going to continue to, like, agitate for a review of these payments and, and for raising the new start rate? He said, oh, well, that's for the government to do. And we didn't get elected to government, so... It's the government's so job to agitate the government. Why are they showing up at work, then? Well, in case anyone needs to be sucked off. <laughs> Which is also why I turned up to work. <laughs> uh, but that's not to appease people. That's for the love of it. It's out of spite. <laughs> it is. It, there. it is fucking like pathetic, right? So Shadow Treasurer, this is from the Guardian. Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers has ruled out reviewing Newstart in opposition, saying those hoping for a boost to the payment had Labor won the election will now quote have to convince the government. If only there was somebody in the building with the government who could say oppose what they were trying to do, and maybe try and help convince them and the electorate that this is the right thing to do. Oh, the Greens. <sighs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. While flagging a shake-up of its policies to take the next election, Chalmers dismissed suggestions Labor should follow through on its pre-election pledge to conduct a review into New Start, calling it a, quote, unfortunate consequence of the coalition's victory. That review won't happen, he said. There were a lot of things we were proposing which had the potential to make a real difference to people's lives, like a theoretical review to... <laughs> Fucking raised. When you think about what happened on election night, one of the things that does get you down is we were not able to implement some of those policies and plans we think would have made a real difference. Uh, we have to accept the reality that we are three years from another election. I don't think a review at the start of that from the opposition would necessarily shift the needle on Newstart. If people want to see a boost to Newstart, they have to convince the government. We've tried nothing and cool. we're all out of ideas. Absolutely. Just fucking pathetic stuff. Pathetic stuff. And they wonder why they don't get any support. It's really strange. Who can figure it out? They, uh, It's... Honestly, like, people in these positions should understand that, of course, every everybody knows that if they take a vote that the coalition doesn't agree with, uh, then it will not pass, right? Like, everybody understands that. They don't have to keep saying it over and over again. What they are... What they have to do is convince the public that the coalition are voting against something that's worthwhile, right? And they have to do it over and over again on on everything. But it's just, like, not even in the realms of imagination that they're playing a, a game that is playing out in the public eye. Like, that the votes at the end of the day are the only thing that matter. Well, it's it's strange that they seem unable to, like, connect... Um, connect the, the, them giving up on this thing with people being very mad at them. Like, <laughs> <they're> yeah. un- <laughs> well, why are people agitating for the Greens? We simply cannot understand. Well, so so yeah, like uh, I just yeah, I I completely don't understand any of this because again, 
I wonder if part of what would convince the government to do this thing is if some opposition were presenting a policy that people were looking at and saying, that is better and more compelling than what the government is offering me. That is, say, maybe an alternative to the government. It doesn't mm. fucking matter if you're three years away from an election. You should be trying to build up and win support for policies now. Like, I don't fucking understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very tired by this whole thing in Australian politics of, like, both parties attempting to play extremely small target about showing their policies, like, a reasonable length of time before elections. Because it hasn't been going well for either of them for quite a while. But uh, speaking of taxes, because we were talking about taxes with the tax cuts. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> Good segue. Definitely Thank up you. there with your others. Thank you. Thank you. Um, speaking of tax cuts, I just had to uh, dip into this story from the ABC about a Christian family who argued that their taxes were against God's will. Um, and have then been ordered to pay back all of their taxes. A Tasmanian family has been ordered to pay more than $2 million to the Australian Taxation Office after failing to pay income tax on the grounds that it, quote, goes against God's will. I'll take a deep breath for this part. Christian missionaries Fanny Alida Beraput and her brother Rembertus Cornelis Beraput I don't think that's right. That cannot be possible. Rembertus Cornelis Beraput faced the Supreme Court of Tasmania on Wednesday after they both failed to pay an estimated $930,000 in income tax and other charges in 2017. I just want to say one thing, which is uh, Beraput is legal. Sorry? Sorry, what was that? Oh, so, I mean, they've broken the law here. Yeah, I, I yep. don't... Hmm? Um. Uh, sounds kind of like barefoot. Mm-hmm. don't know if you guys mm-hmm. are big connoisseurs of the barefoot is legal movement. Yeah, so I've heard of barefoot is legal. You're saying... Barefoot? Beer, beer a poot. <laughs> now, are these beer- people Dutch? <laughs> is this what I'm being led to believe? Probably. But Probably. let's not look into it. <laughs> Let's not look into it at all. Uh, we believe this is what they say. Uh, this is what Mr. Mister Rembertus <laughs> told the court. We believe that the Constitution affirms the fact that the Commonwealth resides within the jurisdiction of the law of Almighty God. And the law of the Almighty God is the supreme law of this land, he told the court. Representing themselves, which is pretty much what you always see in this type of case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the pair told the court they had previously paid income tax prior to 2011, but that a deepened spiritual relationship meant that they later realized that paying taxes was against God's will. Um, Mr. Beriput told the court that the, the pair sent letters to the Queen and Prime Minister last month calling into question the jurisdiction of taxation and the validity of the legislation. He argued that by being made to pay taxes, their dependence on God was being taken away from them, which was causing Australia to be cursed. You can't argue with that, can you? Um, I feel you can. Oh, let's hear it. Mm. So, uh, what I would like to ask them is I'm just wondering... Wait, wait, sorry, can you do this in like a, a Southern lawyer voice, please? 
Well. Oh, no. <laughs> Everyone here if in this here. If it pleases your honor. I present to the court. <laughs> exhibit one. A <sighs> camel. <laughs> now, would your honor say that this camel does or does not fit through the eye of this here needle? And so on and so forth. Um, but how does that prove that Australia is not cursed? Well, I mean... That's what you're meant to be arguing, yeah. But if we're talking about um, taxation bringing you closer or further away from the kingdom of heaven, then uh, it is, the, I believe... The, the by, camel by, and the needle? Well, you know the quote, don't you? It's uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? I believe that's true. Hmm. That those are words that are in the Bible. Absolutely. Yes. Well, it's, it <laughs> yeah. says it right, right here on um, uh, Bible well, it's quotations. Not the Bible. Dot com. It's <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, so they say as we move outside of God's jurisdiction, the country has received curses, which we are already seeing in the form of droughts and infertility. Um, transferring our allegiance from God to the Commonwealth would mean rebelling against God and therefore breaking the first commandment. Uh, Theo, what is the first commandment? Um, that's the thing about the camel again. <laughs> I feel covered. like Ben's going to know what the first commandment is. The first commandment? Yeah. Um, uh, it's the murder one, right? It's either murder or honor thy mother and father. Wow. I would Free have speech? That, that you are <laughs> free speech. <laughs> uh, Wait, did I get it wrong? The first commandment is, don't tread on me. Um, oh, of course. No, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's actually the, um, there's only one God and it's me, big time Tommy upstairs. Oh, of course, you're right. And then the yep. next is, you've got your graven images. Mm-hmm. You've got your, your cussing your out. Your false idols. Yep. You're, uh, you're porking your neighbor's hot wife. Yep. Number seven is flush as many times as you need <laughs> to get the job done. <laughs> Uh, never put oh, um, aluminium foil uh, in your microwave. Don't use uh, detergent when you're washing your cast iron stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't use metal utensils on your non-stick frying pans. No, I mean, you don't need to use detergent on your cast iron stuff because they just slot right in the <laughs> washer. <laughs> Come out just spick and span. I actually clean mine in the microwave. <laughs> Anyway, Just chuck that in there on high for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is the uh, this is the the claim here. We rely on the blessings we receive from God, which we give to Him and not to an outside entity, such as the tax office. Um, they I feel don't. Like actu- there's got to be a middleman between God and their the bank ATL. account. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I noticed that they don't say oh, we're we're giving all this money away or anything. Uh, in his judgment, Associus Justice Stephen Holt said he took issue with the absence of a specific reference in the Bible that supports their argument. Oh, we got a facts and logic guy here. Damn. Quote, uh, if you can't find me a passage in scripture or gospel that says, thou shall not pay tax, then can you see that I have difficulty finding a starting point? Justice Holt asked, owning them. Um <laughs> I believe the submissions to be honestly and genuinely held beliefs rather than an attempt to avoid tax liabilities. It's just worked out conveniently that way. 
But in my view, the Bible effectively said that civil matters and the law of God operate in two different spheres. And then he banged his big gavel. I don't know if we've got those here. I don't think we do. Um, and ordered them to pay an estimated $1.159 million and $1.166 million, respectively, covering income tax debt, administrative costs, interest charges, and running balance account deficit debits. No, debts. Not debits. Sorry. I feel like you, to be taxed that amount... Mm-hmm. You've got to be making some bank. You've got to be making just a whole chunk of cash. And that was, what, 10 years worth, Andrew, did you say? They stopped paying in 2011. 2011. So we're talking about eight years worth of tax there. Huh. Oh, boy. Hmm. Whew. So from one side of the coin of people apparently who have a lot of money on hand and don't want to give any of it, to the tax office because God forbid any of it be used to support any of the people in the society that you live in. Um, to this article that I was reading in um, what is not a skin mag called Plow. Now, <laughs> it's a farming magazine. <laughs> it is a, a type of farming magazine. Um, it's, a, it's a magazine and online magazine that is produced by the Bruderhof community, which is a uh, the Christian community that that has like uh, that run their own businesses and stuff like that to support the community. And so I was reading this piece titled "Is Christian Business an Oxymoron?" and I found it quite interesting uh, because in it they describe the businesses that support the communities that they live in and and how they run them. So it opens with a quote. That may sound familiar to some of you. Uh, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. The Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment. By the big bearded god upstairs. <laughs> uh, Marx's slogan sounds hopelessly utopian as a business strategy. But is it? Question mark. For decades, the Bruderhof communities have operated businesses with this motto successfully. So they're talking to uh, a guy called John Rhodes... Who runs, um, who runs some of these businesses. And he says, um, Community Playthings has been manufacturing wooden toys and school furniture since 1947. Forty years ago, it launched a line of therapeutic equipment for children with disabilities, now called Riften Equipment. These two businesses provide a livelihood for most of the 3,000 adults and children who live in the 25 Bruderhof communities worldwide. They support Bruderhof schools, outreach, and publishing, including Plough, and they make possible the Bruderhof's humanitarian work, helping locally, responding to disasters, and contributing money or manpower to organizations such as Samaritan's Purse and Save the Children. But what's really unusual about these businesses is while they sell into the marketplace internally, they're run communally. There are no bosses or employees, and everyone gets the same pay. Nothing. We see our work as our contribution to a life in which we share everything, as the first Christians did. Huh. And he's, uh, and he's asked by the magazine, is this socialism? And he says, some might call it that, but I don't believe in state control of the economy. The right question is, what would the economics of love look like? Oh, damn. Oof, what a name for a book. <laughs> the economics of love? The economics of love. Like a Marianne Williamson book. I don't know who that is. Uh, she's a candidate in the oh, Democratic primary. Oh, she's the one that did that thing the other day where she got all of the white people in a room to find uh, the nearest black person and do a prayer of apology at them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's the... Yeah, that one. Huh. She's out there. She is out there. That's true. Yes. 
so they ask, what is it like to be a worker in this kind of business? Uh, Jim says, John, sorry, not Jim. My apologies to John Rhodes. Uh, he says, most businesses seek to maximize income and minimize the number of employees. Our task is to find the right variety of work so that everyone can meaningfully contribute as we make enough income to build up the community. In our workshops, there's work for everyone, old or young, male or female, guest or long-time member, skilled or unskilled, disabled or able-bodied, whether you come expected or unannounced. You're welcome, and there's a place for you to work. In our workshops, you will see older folk doing physically easier work in a quieter area. We intentionally hang on to work that could be outsourced or automated because when an 80-year-old comes to the shop, she wants to put in a meaningful day's work that actually supports the community's mission. One of the criticisms leveled at socialism is that when you remove private ownership, people are not motivated to work. Why should I put in my best effort if everyone gets paid the same in the end anyway? But in reality, money is a surprisingly poor motivator. A much stronger motivator is purpose. Motivation in our context doesn't come from state mandates or financial self-interest. It comes from our calling to live in a community. Then there's the question of bosses. Even in a fast food restaurant, if you have a management position, you may not earn much more than the people flipping burgers, but you can, but you can at least boss them around. That's something that's not really present with us. If you walk into our workshop, you will not very easily be able to tell who's in charge. Yes, the work has to get done, but we're in that together. If the person who was asked to be responsible for the shop were authoritarian or uncaring, we would find him another job. And that's how we do our work everywhere in the community. Things aren't different just because this is the income-earning portion of our work. And like, there's, there's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff in this interview where they're talking about, you know, the principles of their community informing how they interact with each other, you know, in the workplace, but that that is just the extension of how they interact with each other everywhere. Um, like saying, you know, basically every, everybody is just very direct with each other and takes things up with each other immediately instead of like backbiting about things and all that sort of shit. But that's how everybody is everywhere in the community. And, um, this was the part that I found really interesting as well, is when they sort of get asked about like, um, you know, how, how do you deal with like working in a capitalist society? when you are not trying to do something that is explicitly capitalist. And he says, uh, many times we've taken a direction with our business that was not a good business decision, but was a good community decision. For example, in the early days of community playthings, we distributed via hundreds of school supply dealers offering them discounts. It was like adding 500 salespeople to our team. A decade or so after the business started, it was overheating. We were six months behind fulfilling orders. The business was pushing the community, and there was pushback. After talking it through in a meeting, the community decided that Tom, my predecessor, needed to slow the business down. And this was difficult. Growth, in business, uh, growth is business's natural evolution, and at that time we badly needed the money that these orders were bringing in. Any normal business would hire more people, build more factories, and ride the crest of that wave. But we don't hire workers, because it's just the community. Uh, from a business standpoint, the worst thing we could do would be to drop the dealer's discounts. Tom told me it was the most difficult business decision he ever had to make, but he did it at the request of the community. The business took a big hit, but it also recovered and grew in a way that served the community's needs rather than sucking the life out of it. This is one way we fight against mammon, the power of money. We seek efficiencies in our shop, but there is a limit. When we bump up against this limit, we decrease the demand on those who are working. We skip a catalog mailing, we drop products, or we raise prices. And, um... It was very, very interesting to me looking at, like, people who are, 
you know, you know how recently Theo we were talking about like that um that game studio that was that was absolutely. I've been waiting this whole time to say, you mean like the Dead Souls sells guys? Uh, yes, absolutely. But I guess it's it's very interesting, like for for you know very left wing people who want to see a reshaping of society and a reshaping of communities to see examples of places where things are actually working. Um, and obviously this is this is quite a different example in the sense that these are all people who are extremely committed to a very specific religious lifestyle. Um, and and that's what kind of, you know, promotes a whole lot of this stuff. But re- really interesting to see, like, working examples of we do this stuff to serve the community rather than people in the community working to serve businesses. Yeah, and actual kind of to see the concrete decision-making when, you know, push comes to shove in saying, well, look, in a purely capitalist sense, we would usually just pay people less or hire cheaper labour or make people work longer hours. But because, you know, these guys seem to be working from a person-first perspective, um, that that sort of antithetical to what they're doing and it becomes the product then that gets pushed out or or you know the costs that get that get raised and it's just something that's that's totally um incompatible with a um with a capitalist system because someone else is going to just kind of come in sweep in and and make something you know cheaper uh made by a robot or, or um or what have you and it's always uh, the people that have to bend, not the, not the process, you know. So it's it's quite fascinating actually to to hear about this. Well, yeah, and there's there's other parts of the interview where he's talking about um, where he's talking about how like the the business is also just part of the community, and the community has all these other larger decisions that they make. So the money that the businesses that they run brings in funds the entire community and all of the community's activities which includes like outreach and and helping in like disaster recovery and stuff like that so there will be times where you know they'll they'll want to buy like a new piece of equipment for one of their workshops or they'll want to buy like something large and they'll go to the community and say we want to do this and they'll say oh well there was just a hurricane that stayed over and we gave all our money away to them so you just got to wait till next year. Mm-hmm. And things like that will, will drive their decision-making. And he was also making a point of saying, which I found very interesting comparing to the, the tax uh, evading guys from the last thing, is that they also made a specific point of saying, we don't really keep a lot of money on hand um, because you know the, they're, they are driven in a very specific way to say it's, you know, it's, it's not Christian and it's not the kind of community we want to be in to like build in, build up a big bunch of wealth because we think that that inevitably leads to bad things. So if we have a surplus of money, we just give it away to people. Um, so it means that you know, yeah, when they when they do want to do something like say, we want to like buy a plot of land or build a new property for for people to live in or something like that, they actually have to like think about it and save up the money um, because. Before that point, they will have just, you know, donated it to somebody or bought something for somebody else. But um, 
but yeah, it's a very, very interesting piece in Plow magazine. Um, Plow.com is Christian business an oxymoron? And uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I, I really like the whole other thing as well of like we very deliberately avoid automating a certain amount of stuff because it it keeps available all of these different types of work for different types of people. It's not about making the whole point of saying we're going to automate processes to the extent where the only type of work we have available is is stuff for people in a very specific age range and for people of a very specific level of like physical fitness or anything like that Mm -hmm. um yeah just being much much more community driven that's nice as hell that's my beliefs yeah and um and you know he says here there's there's a one of the questions here is, is there any conflict between this internal culture and the need to survive in the marketplace? And this is in the context of interacting with capitalism. Uh, and John says, of course, we're living in a capitalistic environment. Still, we try to bring the best of, of our approach to life into that environment rather than letting it shape us. Um, so, you know, they make, a, they make a point of things like they don't put lots of salespeople out on the road. They're like... Uh, our community is about, you know, fathers and wives and children and stuff just being together rather than being sent away from their families. So we just do stuff online. Uh, we do shit online and over the phone instead of like sending people on the road. Um, <coughs> and part of the market that they work in, which is like kids' toys and working with, you know, uh, equipment for children with disabilities, they're obviously also an, an extremely family and children driven community they're like so that's something that we all feel very passionate about and it's not hard for us to speak passionately about that to customers rather than having this kind of unrelated service where we then have to try and like convince people to part with that with their money because that's really not not part of their kind of ethos of selling things to people who don't really want them (laughs) but um I think this one's this is this one's particularly interesting to me because it's sort of um it, it sort of overlaps a lot with a thought that I've been ruminating a lot on in the last few years and that's how we've arrived in this society um you know in in Australia and especially America that are that are largely that are largely Christian where um a whole 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 groups of society have decided it's okay to be massively profitable, even if it kills people, even if it makes people puts people out on the street, even if we can help these people. And the way that um, they've had to kind of bend into pretzels to justify this alongside, um, you know, a lot of the teachings in the Bible, and um, you know, to especially if you you know when you read about you know. Um, I'm I'm no th- theologist, but you know, in in understanding, you know, Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers and driving them from the temple and and all these the money changers, yeah, not the money lenders. Hmm. I've I, I'm surprised too. Um, the, the money transformers. The the money the changers. The bureau de change. Uh, he went in there. <laughs> he flipped all the tables. Look. I'm just. It's. I'm reading that from here. I don't. I'm no theologist, but like, but. In um, trying to kind of yeah again like making the those messages in in um, in what was taught gel with being horrible faceless capitalist 
um, you know, profit machines, and it doesn't it doesn't match up. But because I think of people's um, you know tendency towards self interest and self um, preservation and that sort of thing, um, you know, a lot of uh, the the message is that that is that that's all okay, right? You know, it's it's okay to to make as much profit as you as you want, not pay taxes, not participate in your community, and all that sort of thing, even though it may not be. Uh, the best, the most humane thing to do, um, and it's it, it's very interesting to see people on the other side of that, not not practicing that. So, well, yeah, um, here's here's a little section of this for for anybody who's ever had to do a team building exercise at work. Um, the interviewer says, in recent years, the world's biggest companies have discovered the business value of community and teamwork in getting the most out of their employees. Is there any difference between what you're describing and the management practices of a Silicon Valley firm? And John says, teamwork used as a business principle is an artificial thing. We work together because we love one another and enjoy being together. It's more than teamwork, it's a relationship. And because of this, working through conflict is vital. If two people are having an agreement, uh, are having a disagreement, the work will stop until it's resolved because the relationship is more important. And uh, what really breaks down relationships is backbiting. Being upfront is the best way to form deeper friendships. And in all these things, living rightly ends up being better for the business too. Tensions reduce productivity. You end up with hard feelings and turf wars, and everything goes down the drain. But um. Yeah, it's just, it's very, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, where they ask about, you know, what do they actually do with their money? Um, so the major question is, what do we do with the income? The money doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. Now, you'll notice that the, the people in that Oof. last story said that. But when they said that, what they really meant was, we We're don't want to give money? it to the AT. <laughs> They were like, when you take it from us, you're stopping us from giving it to God. And by giving it to God, they meant keeping it, I guess? Well, I mean, it'll be in their coffin when they die. <laughs> um, so they said, the money doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God, and we have to use it for his purposes. If we use it to feather our own nest, that is a sin. We've chosen voluntary poverty and don't want to accumulate goods for ourselves. So we don't keep a lot of cash on hand unless we're building up a reserve for a major project. Uh, in general, when we have extra funds, we give them away. Like I was saying, it's very, very interesting. Um, so make sure not to write in and yell at me for promoting a Christian community or whatever. They can do what they like. Well, because they uh, <laughs> they worship an invisible sky wizard. Um, uh, the spaghetti monster. <laughs> uh, oh, you want to... Um, the, what what if a unicorn was real? Yeah. Yep. Well, that stuff. Well, covered that. Like I said, I just I found it very interesting. I Give found me it very my honey back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found it very interesting to read that anyway, like through the specific lens of people who were, I guess, simultaneously rejecting, um, the label of socialism, um. And, and obviously kind of not not specifically doing this to fulfill any kind of socialist uh, purpose. But it's it's more for them just about communal living and communal purpose. Um, but at the same time, you know, being aware that they are operating in a capitalist society, but also not 
just doing what you're describing, Theo, of throwing up their hands and saying, oh, well, that's the world we live in. And yeah. you just got to get along with it. You just got to work in that system now. And, like, that, that makes me think of that shit like, you know, uh, people who, like like the um, franking credits kind of stuff uh, and, like, people getting massive tax write-offs for things and then saying, oh, I don't like it either, but, you know, it's technically not against the law. Like I've, Everybody I've, does it. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole lot of that sort of shit um, with with people who have a lot of money um, talking about how, oh, the, this thing is terrible, but it's not against the law, and that's why I take advantage of it. You know, people say that shit like, well, I'd be happy if they closed that loophole, but until they do, cha-ching. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting seeing people um, both living by those principles, but also proving that just that those those values can work in a community and not like obviously not specifically the Christian values, just the idea of you can run a co-op like that. You can you can center your lives around your community and the people around you and actual humans instead of everybody just working to push money uphill uh, into a company. And that's nice. That was a nice story to me. Very nice. That is nice. I agree. Huh. Um, so should we should we leave it there or should we just stop in for one one quick paranormal news story? Oh look, I think we should definitely just a little just a little, a little taste. Oh. Okay. How can you say no? One important piece of news here from the mirror, um, which carries the tagline um what is it, the world's world's best newspaper? <laughs> is it? Is that what it is? It has. <laughs> they got a really funny, um, uh, a really funny little little thing. Um, although, if you go to um, Mirror Online, it says the intelligent tabloid. Oh, jeez. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is great stuff. I think we can all agree. Um, but this story, the smartest horse. This story entitled "Spank the Monkey." Uh, by Mark Hodge. The ghost of a masturbating ape haunts the hallways of a grand country estate in Dorset. <clears throat> now, look, I want to say straight off the bat, first sentence in, and this goes off the rails. Uh, the ghost of a randy monkey haunts the halls of a grand English country estate where romantic spook hunters flock to tie the knot. Mm-hmm. Now, is it an, an ape or a monkey? Monkeys are an ape. Are they an ape? Well, I was going to say apes are a monkey. Oh, oh no. no. Absolutely not. I don't know <laughs> if I'm correct, but I know that you're wrong. I thought... Um, oh, an apes are a branch, a branch of simians. Well, they're both mm-hmm. primates. Mm. That much we can agree on. Yep. Um, all right, so apes part of, part of, yeah. includes gibbons, orangutans... Gorillas, chimpanzees, and humans. It's the big boys. It does not include... Apes is the big boys. Old world monkeys. Oh, hang oh. on. I'm going to... You're doing a deep dive into monkey, monkey terminology. Yeah, it's just a group of old we, world monkeys. Maybe if we re- read on. Yeah, you keep reading. I'll keep maybe looking into the, the monkey thing. Titillated tourists can often hear the saucy specter laughing while masturbating in Athelhampton Hall in Dorset. Near Dorchester, Governor. Um, and who who among us doesn't laugh while masturbating? 
It's a very, very a comic um, activity. <laughs> it's the way I do it. The spooky venue even has soul-searching couples clamouring to have their weddings held there in the hopes of having the pervy primate appear in the background of their pictures. The lovable apes afterlife anti... <laughs> we're going... We're fl- just swinging wildly from Randy to saucy to pervy. And now he's lovable. Hmm. I know, um, you know, after I tied the knot, what I wanted to do is... Uh, Lay down with my wife and say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if a ghost ape jacked off? <laughs> <laughs> just just appeared before us laughing and jerking his, his monkey dick. <laughs> the lovable ape's afterlife antics have helped the hall to be named as one of the most haunted houses in England after being listed on We Buy Any Homes list of the nine most ghostly properties. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, the 15th century... Now, this is where we get into the lore of the of the jack-off monkey. <laughs> the 15th century house was originally built by the Martin family, whose crest featured an excited monkey sitting on a tree stump. The estate's motto was, He who looks at Martin's ape, Martin's ape will look at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And ever since the horny on, ghost, go back, go back. <laughs> what is what they say? Excited ape on the crest. An excited is, monkey sitting on a tree stump. Is is there a picture of the crest somewhere? Oh, I hope so. Hey, what's the thing called? I'll look that up. Martin's. Maybe it was the sun. Maybe it was. The, oh, it was the sun. Sorry. Shout out to the sun. Forget the mirror. The sun.co.uk oh. under news website of the year. It says. It doesn't say which year or anything like that. And there's definitely not a year implied by that. No. So we'll never know. <laughs> of any and all years. Ever since the horny ghost of Martin's monkey has haunted the sprawling country pile, making it a go-to destination for curious phantom fanatics. Uh, one, <laughs> one tourist, dad of three, John Morrison, 41, from Derby, took his entire family to the estate and spoke excitedly about the spanking spook. Oh, don't. He said, quote, We heard that Martin the monkey who haunts the house loves to scratch his privates while swinging around. We didn't see him, which is a shame, because it would have been a real sight. Yeah, that would have been pretty <laughs> pretty easy to miss, I would say. Why a monkey d- just swinging around the room. Jacking his dick. Why did... Why do people want to go and see this? This is what I don't understand. Oh, I get that part. (laughs) (laughs) According to the local legend, the unconventional Martin family did have a pet ape which was free to wander the halls. (laughs) And when... (laughs) It's getting dark now. When one of the Martin daughters had an unhappy love affair and decided to kill herself... The compassionate monkey began following her around. When she climbed a set of hidden stairs... I've got a torch under my face now. When she climbed a set of hidden stairs to a secret room, the ape trailed behind and watched as she took her own life with the door bolted. Oh, Jesus Christ. By the time the family's search of the house and grounds eventually located the room, the ape had starved to death next to her body. 
Now its ghost haunts the halls, often scratching at the panelling of the secret room and staircase in an eternal, frantic attempt to escape. Are, are people mistaking like the frantic attempts to escape with jacking off? Is that what's happening here? It's a very similar motion. Well, if, if all you could hear was like a pounding on the wall and a monkey screeching... Maybe everyone is just like, hey. I mean, you just assume, wouldn't you? There sounds you like a well. monkey is going hog wild in there on his on his monkey Johnson. Hmm. Someone get the sun on the line. <sighs> but the good news is that the monkey is not alone. The house is reputed to have six other ghosts, all human. Is that good news? Is it good news for the monkey? Is it good news for the people who... Wanted to get this onto the list of nine most ghostly properties. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Um. So you know, if you want to catch a spectral monkey, uh, jacking on his monkey dick, get on down to Athelhampton Hall in Dorset, the holiday destination for people having weddings. Vainly hoping to catch um, a, a, a poltergeist. Some veiny groping. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in their pictures. And you don't get it. And you're like, ah, oh, guess we came all the way here and got married for nothing. Uh, ben, what are your feelings about the, the cursed monkey? Well, my feeling is that there are at least three common or traditional uses of the term ape. Mm-hmm. Non-specialists mm-hmm. may not distinguish between monkeys and apes. That is, We they... can skip right past that one. Oh, we are <laughs> specialists, yep. <laughs> they may use the two terms interchangeably, or they may use ape for any tailless monkey or non-human hominoid. Or they may use the term ape to just mean the non-human hominoids. Modern biologists and primatologists use mm-hmm. monophyletic groups for taxonomic classification. Mm-hmm. That is... They use only those groups that include all descendants of a common ancestor. The superfamily Hominoidia is such a group, also known as a clade. Some scientists now use the term ape to mean all the members of the superfamily Hominoidia, including humans. Hmm. And I think that answers your question. So you're saying that I am an ape? Uh, If... If no, we evolve, uh, let me ask you this, Ben. If oh, we evolve no. for monkeys, then how come there's still monkeys around? You know, that's a great question. There's some lazy monkeys. It's like, um, hey, have you tried walking upright? Got <laughs> 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 uh, him. Take that, lesser primates. How about you fucking invent a spear? Hmm. Hmm. Don't see you on Twitter. Yes, <laughs> no, I would love. Absolutely, you imagine a chimp on Twitter. Oh. oh, the hijinks it would get up How to. How could you tell? <laughs> <laughs> Mamma mia. All right, folks. That's where we're going to leave it uh, for this week. Thanks for tuning in. If you would like an extra episode of the show every week, please go to patreon.com forward slash Vista. Put down uh, your credit card details, your date of birth, your um, your scanning your passport, you can send that into us. Yep. Shoe size. Shoe size. Oh yes. Outline Definitely. of your shoe. <laughs> Photo of your shoes. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, anything else? Anything else, guys? Uh, visit Titan. 
Take your family. Take your extended yeah. family to Go Titan. Right now. Get on the rocket. What are you doing? Get yeah. in your car. If you're, you're in your car, cross four lanes of traffic to go straight towards the nearest rocket launch pad. Get to Titan. Please get to Titan, though, seriously. Go to Titan. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.